Hallelujah. You know, here on Wednesday night, we've been talking about the five-fold purposes of God for our life, and uh, we share these things periodically, uh, even our newcomer's life or whatever you want to call it, our Get Connected course for new members and new Christians uh, involve the, the teaching of these five uh, purposes that we're looking at on Wednesday night. This was sparked from our series, our January series, uh, about, uh, um, uh, uh, anybody remember? well, I remember the last one, we talked about the purpose of God and the vision of God for our life and getting a grip on the, that's it, get a grip on the purposes of God for our life. And so uh, we thought, well, Wednesday night in February, we'll go through these and really uh, set them in place in our life in greater measure and greater strength and stability in our life. Because how many of you know God created us all with a purpose? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God, uh, let's say this. You're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. God made you on purpose. He really did. And our keynote verse for this series has been Ephesians 1.11. Uh, and this, I think, is the Living Bible. And I love the paraphrases that uh, Rick Warren uses. And again, if you haven't read The Purpose Driven Life, you should do so. It's a 40-day devotional that walks you through these five purposes that we've been looking at. Uh, and Ephesians 1.11 is our keynote verse. And it says this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Everyone say in Christ. That's the key there. When you're living your life in him, everyone say in him. And that's really true. When you're the source of your life and the source of your destiny and the source of, of everything that you do is found in him, that's, who, that's when you really discover your purpose he says, long before we first heard of Christ, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. So God has an overall purpose. You know, uh, you have a predetermined destiny. Romans 8 talks about the destiny, the, predeter the predetermined destiny for your life. Now, just because you have a predetermined destiny does not guarantee your safe arrival. Amen. You see, I have a plan, uh, you know, as as parent, I always had a plan for my kids, but at some point my kids grow up and, and become adults and they have, and they make choices in life. And you know what? Uh, uh, because of the fact that we're able to choose, we can choose to not, or we can choose to follow after the destiny and purpose of God for our life. So that's what I'm encouraging us to do here as we look to these five purposes to just really set our face like a flint to fulfill the purposes of God for our life. Here they are, just quickly. We've talked about three of them. We're going to talk about the fourth one tonight. And they are this. We're created to worship. Everyone say worship. That means bring God pleasure with our life. You know, some people think worship is just the song service. How many of you know worship is much more than a song service? It's a way we live. And, and you know what? Anything you do that brings pleasure and honor and glory to God is worship to him. And we were created to bring him pleasure. And so we need to embrace that. The second one is we're created to fellowship. How many of you know God didn't just call, uh, create you to believe in him? He created you to belong in his family. The Living Bible in Ephesians, I think chapter 1, or might be chapter 2. I, I can't remember the verses, uh, but it says, You belong in God's household with every other Christian. 
You see, God didn't make Lone Rangers. He made the family of God, the body of Christ, working together and living together. And, and uh, in fact, when you look at the New Testament, especially the, the, uh, the, the epistles, all these things about being together and what we do together, joined together, knit together, fitted together, uh, we're created to belong to the body of Christ. It's important for us to understand that, that really our destiny is discovered in this, this, this supernatural connection and, 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 and link with not only Christ, but his family. And then last Wednesday night, we talked about this. We're created and designed by God to grow and become more and more like him. You see, you were, we were all created in his image, but what happened uh, with the first man, Adam? Sin entered the world, Right? And we are separated from God, and the image that God created us in was skewed. And now Jesus came, died on a cross, paid for us, bought us with a price, and placed us in his family. And now the process, everyone say process, the process of sanctification or becoming more like him begins. And so he wants us to, uh, to be restored into his image. And, and, and uh, so it's a process and it's called discipleship and growing spiritually. Did you know the reason you're here tonight is because something on the inside of you wants to grow spiritually. I hope you're not just here out of obligation. Uh, you know, I'll take it, but I hope something on the inside of you says, man, I'm going to be there Wednesday night. Not because uh, even I feel like it, but because I know and I realize that one of the purposes of God for my life is to grow and become more like Christ. And I know the ministry of the local church, not only the fellowship, but the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God will help me be more like Him. Amen. And so uh, you're created and designed to grow. Now tonight, in just a moment, we're going to talk about the fourth purpose of God for our life as outlined in the purpose-driven life. We're created to serve. And that's a misunderstood uh, uh, revelation in a lot of people's life about servitude. And then next Wednesday night, we'll close out our, our, our February uh, ministry in this topic with we're created to influence. In fact, Trent Arnold, one of our young men, will be sharing that session with you. I'll, Beverly and I will be on our way to, well, actually we'll be uh, at a pastor's uh, missions uh, conference uh, in um, Missouri, up there. Branson's in Missouri. It's just on the border of Missouri and Arkansas. Uh, we'll be there with pastors and church leaders from all over the world. And so Trent will finish that, <coughs> pardon me, finish that up for us. Thank you, Jeremy. Now, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I want to begin to talk to you <coughs> about being shaped by God for service. Now, for many of you who've been here for a while, some of this is going to be just a quick uh, review of some things, and that's good. And, and I, <coughs> pardon me, let me get my little lozenge. Uh, but how many of you know, Peter told us, I think in Second Peter, that I'm just going to keep reminding you, even though you know these things, I'm going to keep reminding you about them. And so tonight, some of this may be reminder. Some of you, this may be uh, just kind of uh, get you sparked in some things. <coughs> but God, when he created us, he created us to be like Christ, right? And as we become more like Christ, you know what needs to be began to be made manifest in our life? Because the Bible says Jesus didn't come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life 
a ransom for many. And so the reality is, if you're going to be like Christ, you've got to come to the place, we've got to come to the place where we realize God shaped us and made us in his image. And that image involves a heart of service to God, not only to God, but his church and to the world. And so Ephesians 2.10, this is the living Bible. It says this, uh, in fact, uh, King James says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we walk in them. But I love the living Bible. It says, it is God himself who made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ, from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives helping others. Wow, I love that. That God created you to spend your life. You see, your life is a resource to God, right? I said, your life is a resource to God, right? And he created us to spend our lives in helping and serving others. And so that's a revelation for some because, you know, in the world we live in, the world we live in, most people uh, are spending their days trying to get to a place, think about it, where other people serve them. Am I right? I want to one day not be the employee. I want to be the employer so I can now have people serve me and help me accomplish what I want. And, you know, that's, a, that's just a part of business. I understand that. But most people spend their, their life, they're thinking about their life. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to save my money. And there's nothing wrong with all of that. How many of you know if you don't work, you don't eat? The Bible teaches us to be good stewards. All those things are right. But the mindset is we're going to spend our life, come to a place, work really hard where now we just life is good and people can serve us and come and, you know, peel us a grape or whatever and, and life be grand. But how many of you know, even though there might be a place in life where we arrive at what some would call success, how many of you know we can't ever undermine the reality that God called us and created us to serve others. And even if we are at what some might call the top of the totem pole or have arrived at a place of success, we are still to be servants to God and others. I believe God wants to bless us so we can be a greater service to the world God's put us in. Amen. So how many of you want to embrace that tonight? Amen. We're created by God. We're shaped by God to serve. And so let me give you some thoughts about that from a, a biblical perspective and just some kind of PowerPoint uh, uh, things that uh, if you were to read the book, you would find them. No, and, I, and I've already kind of hinted. I'm going to talk about, about what we're, the sh- we're shaped for and how God created us. Number one, we're created by God to serve. That's what we need to embrace. I just shared that. That's why God created you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's why God created you. He created us to serve. And that's what Ephesians 2.10 says. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The living Bible, he said he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Amen. Number two, we're saved to serve God. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me just show you this. That's why God saved you. He created you and he saved you to serve. Second, Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 uh, says this. I'll get there in verse 9. He says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, 
but according to his purpose, his own purpose and grace and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Did you see that? You ought to circle that. We are, we are saved. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but in, according to his own purpose. Amen. You see, I said it. God has a plan. And the reason you're saved uh, because God gave you the capacity to come back to him is not just to get you to heaven. You see, a lot of people think salvation is to get us to heaven and keep us out of hell. How many of you think God's salvation will keep you out of hell and get you to heaven? How many of you thank God for that? Amen. But that's not the totality of why you're saved. God saved, he put a plan together and he has a purpose for our life beyond just getting to heaven. And that is to be his servants in the earth. And that same verse, number three, we're called to serve God. You know, some people think about the calling of God and they think, oh, it's the pastor, the evangelist, the missionary, you know, the, you know, the Sunday school. They're the ones that have the calling. It's the prophet, the, the teacher. No, everyone that's been saved has a calling from God. He has a purpose and a plan, and he's called us to serve him and to fulfill his kingdom purpose in the earth. And then not only have we been created and saved and called, but according to Scripture, and when you really read through the Gospels, you will discover that the command of God is upon us to serve others. The directive of God, and, and you know, if you're going to follow the the purpose of, of, of God for your life, you're going to discover that the, it's the command of God on our life uh, to serve him. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says this. Let me just show it to you. Uh, he said, just as the Son of Man did not, I've already quoted it, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so how many of you know, if you're going to be like Christ, and Jesus was under the command of God to come and serve. If we're going to be like Christ, we've got to embrace that. We've got to realize, man, the command of God is upon me. I'm his disciple. I'm his follower. And so I, I have the biblical command of God on my life to be a servant in the world. Amen. And that's why he created you. Now, let me give you some Rick Warren one-liners. Rick Warren, again, the one who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. I love some of the things he says. He's got great preaching material. Here it is. Number one, maturity is for ministry. We grow up in order to give out. Maturity is for ministry. We grow up to give out. That's really true. You know, the, the discipleship that we talked about, becoming like Christ. Why are we maturing and becoming more like him? It's for the purpose of ministry. Everyone say ministry. Now, let me give you this little revelation in your mind. You may or may not know this, but when you read the word of God, uh, when you see ministry and service, those words are basically synonymous. Some people think of ministry. They think, oh, Pastor Sam, he's the minister. You get, you know, and we have these, these kind of mindsets about these words and, 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 oh, the people that work in the nursery, uh, they're serving in the nursery. Uh, Pastor Sam is ministering from the pulpit uh, and, and we kind of separate them. They're really synonymous. It's ministry. It's service to God. And so when we grow in Christ, it's for the purpose of ministry and service. We grow up to give out. Amen. What happens if you, oh, I could think of some illustrations. The doctor's not in the house. 
How many of you know if you just, all you're doing is partaking and not giving out, there's going to be a problem? Does the word constipation come to mind here? I don't want to be too graphic, but could I tell you in a very real sense that, that we're to be like the, you know, there's, there's two uh, bodies of water in Israel, two main ones. It's the Sea of Galilee and then the what? Dead Sea. The River Jordan flows into the Sea of Galilee and flows out. There is a flow. There is an in and there is an out. And as a result, the Sea of Galilee, though it's very low, by the way, it's teeming with life. Every time I've been there, I've eaten a fish out of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, anybody here go with me to Israel? There, right. Did you eat your fish? Amen. Did you eat the eye? You didn't eat the eye. I mean, it's a whole, whole fish. They bring it down. You got eye and everything. Uh, didn't eat the eye. Uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's life-giving. Why? Because life comes in. Life goes. Come on. Life comes in. Life goes. There you go. But beyond, below that is the Dead Sea, which is way below sea level. Very interesting body of water. It has no outflow, and it is literally dead. It's full of salt, and the water comes in, but none goes out. It's really a picture of what Rick Warren's talking about here. God wants us to be like the Sea of Galilee, where we're giving out ministry and service, and as we grow in Christ, we are to give out. Here's another one. What matters, I love this one, what matters is, is not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life. I love that. Some people think, well, man, I want, I want to live a long time on the earth. How many of you know there's a lot of people who live a long time on the earth that make no real donation? They, they're just, they're just uh, uh, you know, like, like leeches and sponges sucking the life out of everybody and everything and, get, you know, kind of like the bluebell guy, I'm getting, I'm, or getting all I can what is it eat all I can and sell the rest something like that I'll just do whatever I, but it's 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 all about me but how many of you know it's not all about us we're created to be more like him and to serve and what matters most is not how long you live on earth but what you do and how you serve and the donation of your life remember we should spend our life for the sake of others amen I think some of us tonight need a little begin to the process of adjusting our overall mindset when it comes to who we are and what God has for us. Think about it. It's about what we can do for others. Really true. Here's another one. I love this one. We are healed to help others. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are saved to serve, not to sit around and wait for heaven. It's really true. We're healed to help others. In fact, there's, a, there's some scripture that talk about the fact that, that uh, the deliverance God gives us is so we can be a, a, a blessing and a ministry to others. And that same deliverance wherewith we've received, we provide for others. It's really true. I love this one too. We are only fully alive when we are helping others. Amen. We are only fully alive. Our... our when you're really fulfilling the purpose of God and serving others, that's when joy begins to really be made mad. That's when the life of God really begins to be realized in your life. There's a lot of people that are spending, spending all their energy and effort 
trying to get it all and to have it all. And, and, and it's all about them. And I'm telling you, those people, they're frustrated people. They're not living. They're just, they're just frustrated. And so it's about helping others. I find it interesting. And, and, and I, though I can't un- speak for these people or against them, but I find it interesting that some people that we look at in the world today who we would think have arrived, you know, I think of Bill Gates and some of the richest men in the world, they've come to a revelation. There is no way I can, I can keep all this money. I want to spend some of what I have and some of them a large a portion of what I have trying to help others. And that's very encouraging to me. But how many of you know, we can do that here and now. We don't have to, you know, we may or may not arrive at a Bill Gates status. The odds are probably not. But how many of you know, we can, we can spend our lives helping others. And you know what we may do? We may help a young Bill Gates somewhere along the way. We may help uh, some of the, someone who, who God would use as an influential person in the world to make a big difference in the earth. And, oh, I have a story that I don't have time to tell, uh, but uh, uh, it uh, about how God used a little old, um, I don't want to tell it, but I can't. Uh, it's about George Washington Carver, uh, a little slave boy, baby, who, who was stolen and nearly lost his life and... Uh, an old farmer worked a deal with the person who stole him and they threw him back to him in a tow sack by a river and spared his little life. And if you know anything about George Washington Carver, he made a huge impact in the world uh, with his uh, knowledge and insight about the peanut, among other things. And, and uh, the interesting thing about that is... Uh, some there was a man and I don't remember his name who whose George Washington Carver's influence in his life in the not too distant past he he studied some of the things he did and he took some of the knowledge that George Washington Carver had developed years ago put it into practice and saved the lives of millions of people through certain methodologies of raising grain and so on and so forth in foreign countries uh, and uh, you know the trickle down effect of how one old farmer had compassion on a little baby that had been stolen from its mother. Mother actually killed, I think. And he went and he spared, he worked a deal and worked a trade for this little baby who turned out to be George Washington Carver. And because of his influence, people's lives all over the world have been transformed. So, hey, we're only truly alive when we're helping others. You know, you never know who you're helping. How many of you realize that? You never know who you may be helping. Amen. So, this is where we're going to do some review for most of you. We're going to talk about discovering your shape. It's an acrostic. S-H-A-P-E. It's an acrostic. And, and uh, these uh, five letters uh, will help us determine the different parts of who we are and just give us an idea of how God made us uh, and and. There's in no way in this next 20 minutes that we're going to be able to delve very deeply into this. But this is a good way to kind of begin to look at your life and say, hey, you know, God has shaped me in some areas. There's some areas of my life that if we understand them and begin to apply them and appropriate them, we can really begin to discover who, God, who we are in Christ and what God has called us to do. Psalms 139 verse 13 says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully 
and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows them very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So what's David learning here? What's he saying? You shaped me. You formed me. You fashioned me. And so here's the acrostic. Anyone uh, remember uh, enough to know what the letter S stands for? Your, oh, we need to all go through this again. Your spiritual gifts. Everyone say spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, we're not going to go there and read them because I'm going to show them to you quickly. Because again, you know, God's given us spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians 12 is what some people call the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, just for your information, God wants to gift us. And when you look at the spiritual gifts, they are not for us. They are for ministry and service to help Others, somebody say others. And so as we learn who we are, we ought to, uh, you know, Paul said desire spiritual gifts, but we need to discover them and begin to apply them in our life. And just quickly, I, I, there's nine here in 1 Corinthians 12, and I, I break them down into three categories. This is just for information, so you can begin to do a little study on your, on your own. But there's, there's nine spiritual gifts, uh, and how many of you know a gift is a gift? This is not something you get with maturity. It's a gift. Amen? And so, here they are. Revelation gifts is the first uh, category. Those are ones that reveal something. Just for information's sake, what are they? A word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. These are the revelation gifts. They're the gifts that say something. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. Don't have time to study them. I just want you to know that, hey, we, we need to begin to uh, not only uh, desire spiritual gifts, but begin to operate it and learn and, and, and expand our understanding of the gifts that God has for us. The next category of spiritual gifts is the power gifts. Those are gifts that what? Do something. Here they are. They're the gift of faith, the gift of miracles, and the gift of healing. They're gifts that do something. And how many of you know, you begin to operate in these gifts, how many of you know you're going to be able to help some people? You're going to be a great service to the family of God. You know, to, to have the gift of faith and the gift, uh, the gift of miracles and the gift of healing. And, and uh, we ought to desire these things in our life. And then the third category of these spiritual gifts is inspiration gifts. These are the gifts that what? Somebody say it. They say something. Here they are prophecy tongues and interpretation of tongues these are the some people call them the declarative gifts where you know prophecy is just for the sake of a little commentary is not necessarily foretelling the future most people think prophecy has to do with foretelling the future but when you study the corinthian uh, uh paul's uh, kind of uh, teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, you'll discover that prophecy is for the edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And so, what's that all about? It's about helping others. Somebody say others. And so, so these gifts, we ought to embrace them and apply them in our life so we can be a greater benefit and service to the body of Christ. You'll discover the first century church, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. 
They began to serve the church and to serve others under the anointing and the gifts of the Spirit. They began to cause that. They began to work in the church. And in Corinth, there was a little confusion about them. So Paul came along and gave a little instruction. But he didn't. He did. He said, "You need to desire spiritual gifts." And so a big part of your shape is the spiritual gifts God wants to give you, and He wants to grace you. So you can be a greater benefit to the body of Christ. How many of you know when you're walking in the, let's just think about the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge where God gives you, yeah, uh, you know, a word of wisdom for someone, somebody, maybe somebody, oh, brother, <coughs> I got this issue, I got that issue. You know, I, I don't know what to do. Well, let's just pray about it. And all of a sudden, God gives you a word of wisdom, just a prophetic insight that says, you know, hey, you know, I really sense God's telling me that maybe if you'll do this, if you'll just go down this road, that God will begin to give you clarity in your life. How many of you know that's a great benefit to the body of Christ? Amen. Thank God for people's knowledge. Thank God for people's, you know, counseling capacity. But when you get a prophetic insight into someone's life and maybe a, a prophetic word to, to, to help them get through the cloud or get through the, 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 the problems of their life, you're serving the body of Christ. Amen. So the letter S stands for spiritual gifts. And then the letter H, what does that stand for? Anybody remember? Our heart or our passion in life. Do you know anybody that has a particular passion about one kind of, one particular thing? Where, man, you, you can talk about a lot of things and you go, ah, oh, hum, the tune is done, the word is with me. But you start talking about what their passion is and they light up like a Christmas tree. And man, and you can't shut them up because that is their passion. You know, uh, I've got some, uh, one of my passions is our agua resources. And it's frustrating to me because of economics and situ circumstances and situations. We're not able to do as much as we want to do right now. Plane flights have tripled almost. You used to fly to Acapulco from Houston for 300, 350 bucks around trip. Now it's 900, 1,000, 1,100, bucks. It's ridiculous. I can fly to London and back cheaper and you can fly to Acapulco, which is about a three-hour flight. Uh, it's just ridiculous. So it's frustrating to me, but it is my passion. And when I get to talking to uh, Tom Schaefer on Skype about Agua and water wells, I get all fired up. Our Canadian team is actually there this week drilling water wells. Lord, give them great success. They already got one yesterday, one complete well yesterday. And so I saw them going. I saw the pictures on Facebook. Man, I just go, ah! I want to be there. I love it. I mean, I tell you, we've been doing it for 10 years and it never gets old to me to see that water come bubbling up out of those pumps and, and making a difference in people's life. It's one of my passions. You want me to get fired up? I'll talk about Agua. And you know what? And we all have a heartbeat. We all have a passion. And when you understand that, uh, you know, what what somebody say one time, you know, find something you love to do and figure out how to make money doing it and you'll never work a day in your life. Why? Because you're operating out of the passion. Okay? Amen. Robert, you love flying helicopters? You, you don't wake up every morning and go, oh, man. In fact, I don't want to read your mind, but sometimes he probably wishes for a trauma or a car accident where he can jump in his helicopter. It's a boring day when you don't get to fly, right? Sit around and twiddle your thumbs. It's his passion. Man, he's never worked a day in his life. Well, probably a little. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. And you know what? We get our heart. God gave us a particular passion or maybe some, uh, you know, Proverbs 27, 19 says, as in, wa as in water, face reflects face. 
So a man's heart reveals the man. So a man's heart reveals the man. What's his passion? What's your passion? It reveals who you are. And when you begin to discover your passion that God has given you, uh, uh, I'm not talking about lusts. I'm talking about passions. Some, you know, oh, this is what revs my motor. Oh, this is what gets me up in the morning. This is what excites me. You know what? God can use our heartbeat, our passion for his glory. Amen. And that's where the, you know, gosh, I, uh, yeah, we'll, I'll hit this. Romans 12 Yeah, let's do this. Romans 12 is what many people call the motivational gifts. And you could kind of say it's how, it kind of defines how all of us are wired. Now, we don't have time to go through and read them all, but I've got them listed here. And let's just list them. Go ahead and put that next, that next line up and I'll list them. And then I've got to go through them. Prophecy, these are motivational gifts. In other words, kind of how people are wired on the inside. And I think there's seven, there might be six. Prophecy, serving, teaching. Uh, what's the next one? Exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy. These are, the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven of them. And uh, let me just kind of, let me, and, and here's what, I, let's do a little, let's have a little fun tonight. I'm going to read kind of a little definition of each one. And you think, I know which one the primary motivation and my primary passion uh, is. And and I I can tell you exactly. But let's see, uh, after we read them, you think about your own life and think, "Mm, I probably lean towards that. Now, we all operate in every area somewhat. But usually, everybody has one of these seven areas where where it's really kind of the overarching uh, 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 gifting of their life. So here we go. You do a little self-study, and then maybe I'll let, I'll let you guess mine, just for the sake of, of um, uh, fun. Prophecy. It's the motivation to reveal the true nature of man by speaking God's truth through love. Again, prophecy is not for telling the future. The motivation is to reveal the true nature of man by speaking God's truth through love. And then the next one is serving, like what we're talking about. Some people have a special grace in the area of service, the motivation to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs. I had a guy in one of my former churches that his, his passion was serving. He wanted to help needy people and help the, the poor. But how, and how many of you know that is as biblical as the day is long? His problem, though, is he thought everybody was supposed to have his passion. And as a result, he was always frustrated with other people who didn't quite catch his passion. He didn't understand that, hey, he's just a part of the big picture. And, uh, but, and he'd get frustrated. If we didn't have his passion, he'd get mad and irritated. I said, hey, listen, we're not all wired like you. Thank God you're wired the way you are. You, you inspire me and challenge me. But he, he had the, the heartbeat of, and the motivational gift of serving. And then teaching, the motivation to search out and validate truth which has been presented. Exhortation, the motivation to stimulate and build up the faith of others. Giving, the motivation to entrust personal assets to others for the expansion of God's kingdom in the earth. Leadership, the motivation to coordinate and administrate the activities of others for the kingdom, for kingdom purposes. Mercy, the motivation to identify with and bring comfort to those who are in distress. 
There they are. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. Now, let me just ask you. Anybody here in your mind, you just know, I know what I am. I know where my primary motivation is. Anybody raise your hand? You know. You got, we got some? All right. How many of you kind of think you know? All right. Good, good. Let me just ask you, Brett, what do you think your primary motivation is? Serving. Amen. Somebody else. Somebody tell me. Mastia, what is yours? Mercy. Ooh, you and my wife, y'all just get together and y'all just cry tears, buckets of tears. My wife is mercy. She kind of is like also when I'm not as merciful as she thinks I need to be, it just freaks her out. Well, don't you care? You know, and I, I've learned just probably not as much as you do. That's why you're you and I'm me. Roberta, what about you? Serving? Somebody else? Anybody else? What do you think you are? A guess? Anybody? Okay, anybody want to guess who they think I am out of these? Because I know which one I am, primarily. Yeah, pardon me? Teacher? I do all those things, but they are not my primary motivation. I teach out of my motivation. I preach out of my motivation, and I believe it's exhortation. I want to build people up and get them going. In fact, I get real frustrated with people if they just sit and sour. I go, come on now, let's go. Let's get this thing. Hey, come on, you can do it. Everybody say, you can do it. All right. And so, hey, just shared those things with you so you can kind of understand the, in fact, it'll help us understand others. Now, I'll throw out a book. If you really want to delve off into this, this is a great book. It's not a biblical, it's not a, it's not a spiritual book, but it is a great book. It's called Now Discover Your Strengths. And this guy has taken, and he's got it down to a science. He, he has defined about 30 strengths. I think there's 30 that kind of uh, fits pretty much everybody somewhere. And he teaches you these strengths. And what his mindset is, you know, we, ought, we need to operate out of our strength. You know anybody that ever operates out of their weakness? Oh, it's bad. Uh, you see, you ever watch American Idol? They, they, they want to operate out of their weakness, and they think, I'm a star, and they're no more a star. You know, gosh, you're not. You don't have it. That's your weakness. That's not your strength. Uh, the book's premise is spend the majority of your effort, you know, strengthening your strengths. And how many of you know that's kind of contrary to the world we live in? You know, if your kid comes home with his report card and he gets an A in every area, but he gets a C in English, what's the tendency? Ask Evan. We don't care about the A's. We go, you better get that C up, boy. I'm going to wear you out. And I understand that, but it may be that the strength is not there. And and we're kind of, we need to work hard, but... How many of you know, if you're about a three at something, on a scale of one to ten, if you're a three, let's just say, let's just say uh, in leadership, you're about a three, or whatever it is, anything, I'm a three, you could spend all your effort and energy trying to be better at that three, and you might get to a five, but how many of you know that's still pretty lame? You understand what I'm saying? And so the book 
helps us kind of define that and then spend our effort and energy getting better at what we're graced at, what we're gifted at. So it, it, it's really true. And I love First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, one of my favorite verses in this context. It says, as each one has received a gift, so minister it to one another as good stewards, that's another word of servant, a good steward of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received a gift, so minister it to one another. That's served by, you know, let that gift uh, be released to the body of Christ as a gift of service to the body of Christ as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, think about the local church. Uh, We just had two or three that said servant. How many of you know in the ministry of the local church, you've got to have those gifts operating all over the place, right? Amen. You really do. You've got to have those gifts popping and hopping at every turn. And so thank God for those gifts. Uh, and it says we are to minister it as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. So here we go. That's the letter H. We'll move quickly through the other letters just to kind of help you understand about, about the fact that God shaped you for a purpose. The letter A talks about our abilities. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 says there are different abilities to perform service. How many of you know some people have some natural abilities at things? Uh, and you know what? God will use your abilities for his glory and honor. You know, even if it's just a, a learned ability, if you're an electrician, uh, you know what? We could use your service in the house of God. Amen. If, if you have certain things, you know, you know, Ryan, he has a real ability. He, in fact, Ryan is an amazing young man to me. Uh, even though it's hard, he loves weedy. In fact, his business is, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Something green. Texas green. In fact, uh, he helps, uh, you know, I helped him today mow the grass. I wish you could have seen it today. We did a good job. We mowed all this. But uh, uh, he gets out there, that weed eater, puts his, uh, his, his earphones on and listens to podcasts. And, buddy, he goes to weed eating. There's something about it. He said, it's strange. I love it. Uh, and I'm going, I'm so glad you do. He has abilities. He has, you know, a knack. And you know what? It's very valuable to us. And just for, hey, he's not in here. He charges us nothing to do this. I mean, if you know, you would know, Shannon, if, if I were to uh, have hire, you know, uh, someone to come do this big area on a weekly basis, we're talking about hundreds of dollars a month to, to just mow the grass at Church on the Rock North. But you know what? He's serving God with his abilities and the, and the gifting in his life. So, hey, the, those abilities, God can use them. The letter P is personality. How many of you know we're all wired a little different when it comes to personality? Right? But let me just say this. I always throw this out here. How many of you know rude is not a personality? You ever met anybody rude and you, you said, man, that's a little rude. Well, that's just the way I am. No, it's, it might be the way you are, but that ain't the way God created you to be rude. Amen. <laughs> or some people say, well, I, I, I'm just a, you know, I'm kind of an introvert. And that's probably some a little more introverted, some extroverts. And, uh, you know, and, and, and there's different, there's out, you know, Gregory, all those, per, you've ever done those personality, read those personality profiles. And, in fact, what's the old book? You remember, though, the guy who did the personality I can't remember his name. He is a pretty popular book. But uh, what I say about this, yeah, we all have different unique personalities. If you're kind of a quiet, introverted type, we probably don't want to put you on the greeters. Right? Uh, and so 
you know, we, we, your personality kind of helps determine who you are and how you best serve the body of Christ. And God's gave, given us all personality. Again, you can't, you know, flaws, personality flaws, uh, they're flaws. They need to be fixed. I joked about rude, but, you know, some people, you know, some people have these, the, they, they don't have any friends and they get mad because they don't have any friends and they think, you know, nobody loves me and my hands are cold. Uh, how many of you know that's not a personality? That's a personality flaw. And they get offended because nobody wants to come over. Well, hey, you know, maybe there's something about you that needs to change. And it's not who you are and how, how God created you. It's something that got cross-wired in your system. And as a result, you've got a personality issue that is counterproductive to helping others. Amen. And so we got to look at our lives and be honest about who we are and not blame mom and daddy and say, well, you know, this is, uh, you know, I'm just, I can't do this because, you know, I, I, somebody told me the other day about someone who, and this is not really a personality. It's a, it's a, it's something that needs to be healed. They don't come to church because they're afraid of crowds. They have a fear of people and things. I'm telling you, that needs to be fixed. Wow. That's, no, that's a flaw. That's something got into that person and it's robbing them of the benefit of the family and robbing the family of the benefit of them. And so our personality, our, our shape, uh, our spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personality, and here in the letter E, our experiences in life. How many of you got all kinds of experiences, some good, bad, and ugly? How many of you know God can use them all? He really can. How many of you got some experiences you'd rather not talk about? Okay, I do too. We all do. But you know, over the course of time, God even uses our pain. He can use our painful experiences to benefit and help others. Your life experiences, good, bad, and ugly. Your family experience, your vocational experience, your spiritual experiences, your painful and educational and ministry experiences. And, and you know, I think of Romans 8, verse 28. What did Paul say? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean all things are good. It means that God can take all of your experiences and turn them into something good. Paul, the apostles in prison. How many of you know, by and large, that's not good? Especially when he's wrong, you know, he's thrown in prison for doing something good. He's in prison for the cause of Christ. And and, uh, in our mindset, well, that's not good. But you know, Paul's perspective was it's actually turning out to be good. Because even the prison guards are getting witness to. Amen. So God uses our experiences. That's our shape. We all have a unique shape. Aren't you glad we're not all the same? Amen. Wouldn't life be boring if we were all you? Hey, Pastor. But wouldn't life be boring if we were all me? We're all uniquely different. We all have a very... Oh, and man, if we got into the biology of life and started talking about DNA, wow. You discover there's nobody like you. The odds of anybody being exactly like you are... 
is, the, is there a number long enough? The, the odds are just astronomical that, that anybody could be exactly like you and have the same DNA as you got. You have a thumbprint built within the DNA of your life that says you are you. In fact, even our fingerprints are unique. Man, I'm telling you, nobody like you biologically, personality, uh, in all these different unique ways. God created you as a unique and you have a special shape that God has given us. Amen. Now let me give you a couple of thoughts and then we're going to, in fact, you want to jump ahead and turn to Matthew 25. We're going to close out by looking at the parable of the talents. But let me just say these things here. Your shape is God's design for you in serving God. It's, it's your, your shape is God's design for you in serving God, his family and the world. God shaped you for service, to serve God, serve his family, and serve the world that God has placed you in. But here's the next thought. Your shape reveals your ministry, but your servant heart reveals your maturity. And that's what we're talking about tonight, growing and becoming more mature in who we are in Christ and plugging into and really serving the way God created us to be. Amen? Now, turn to Matthew 25. I love the parables. What's a parable? Anybody know a definition of a parable? It's just a, it's, it's a story with a spiritual purpose, right? And I tell all the time when I read the parables, I say, now, uh, in, fa- in fact, you're going to be glad. Uh, You've you got to be careful not to create biblical doctrine and misinterpretate a parable. A parable is teaching an overarching truth. And we'll read something, particularly in the end of this parable, that if you you get a little fearful, you could think, oh, what does that mean? He's just teaching an overarching truth. So, so parables can come along and help undergird doctrine, but be careful not to build a doctrine out of a parable. He's teaching an overarching truth. Everybody got that? Say, I got it. Okay, here we go. It's the parable of the talents. And when we hear the word talent, we think of, oh, he's really talented. But it really is increments of money. Okay? But this story is not about money. It's about service and faithfulness. It's about serving and expending the life that God made you a steward of in a righteous way. You got it? Here we go. I'm just going to read it, and maybe the spirit of teacher, preacher come on me in a little bit, but I just want you to see it. Verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants, everyone say servants, and delivered his goods to them. You get the picture. And here it is. He's just saying, I'm going to tell you, the kingdom of heaven, it's like the story I'm about to tell you about uh, a man who took his servants and while he went to a far country, he put some things into their care to be good stewards of. And to one, he gave five talents, again, increments of money, to another two and to another one, (coughs) to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. And here it goes. Then he who had received five talents 
went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Again, we're not talking about money. This is an illustration of what God has invested in our life. Let me just stop and pause and comment. Some people may think that because they don't feel like they've been entrusted with much, that they have to be as faithful as others. How many of you know the level of faithfulness has to be the same regardless of them, of whatever God has entrusted with us in our hands, right? Well, I don't you don't care about that. Absolutely wrong, as we will learn. And after a long time, the Lord uh, of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Everyone say settled accounts. Now, let me just stop and say about your life and my life. One day we will stand before God, the scripture says, and give an account of the life we lived and give an account of, of, of how we lived our life on planet earth, whether or not we lived it for his glory and honor in service to him, his family, and the world. We will. If I had time, I'd validate that for you. We will stand before God and he will not judge us uh, whether or not we go to heaven or hell. How many of you know as a child of God, we're on our way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas this tonight. Amen. He's going to judge us on how we lived our life on planet earth and he will reward us accordingly or not reward us accordingly. It's true. And so that's the illustration that Jesus is saying. He came back after a long time, and he settled accounts with these servants. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful what? Servant, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, there is a mouthful right there. We could talk a while about that because understand something about what God has given you in your life. You and I are responsible for it, and God will reward us accordingly. And in the case of this, how many of you know God is blessed when we're faithful with what he's given us? With the gifts and the talents and the calling and the anointing and the grace and the the shape, the life we live. How many of you know we only have one life? Amen? There's no such thing as reincarnate. You can't start over. You can't start right where you are and say, hey, you know, I'm going I'm to stop spending all my efforts on me and start spending my effort and energy in my life on serving and helping others and fulfilling God's kingdom purpose for my life. And, and uh, uh, guess what? Man, if we're faithful, God will reward us. And I'm convinced it's not only in heaven but in this life. Amen. He also, verse 22, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Everyone say good and faithful. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, understand something. 
this guy, I don't know his whole issue. Maybe he was offended by the fact that he was a one-talent guy. Maybe he just got a, I don't know. But he deferred blame here. He said something about his master that really absolutely was not true. He said, I know you're a hard man. Now, wait a minute. I just gave you something that belonged to me and I went on a long journey and I didn't have anybody barking down your neck to get you to do what I've called, I want you to do, what I've invested you to do. I'm not a hard man. I put trust in you to take care of and to, and to be a good steward of what I've invested in your life. And I've come back now to settle accounts. And here you're telling me I'm a hard man. How many of you know this guy had a, he deferred blame. The reason I was not productive is really because I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. And he, he pointed a negative, judgmental, critical finger at his master. Now, follow with me. He said, so I was afraid. You made me afraid. You're a fearful man. So I just went and hid the talent in the ground. Look, there you can have it back. And he said, the Lord answered and said to his Lord answered said, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, he said his motivation was fear. Wasn't true. His master knew. How many of you know it's wicked when you point the finger at the person who God... Hey, is basically what he's saying. If you look at God and, and, and you have a negative understanding of Him and you blame Him for your lack of faithfulness, that's pretty wicked. And the, and the Lord said, basically, this is Pastor Sam's commentary, You're not, you weren't fearful. You're just lazy. You didn't take seriously the investment I gave you. You're just lazy. Now, he says this. He said, you're a wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited the money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with the interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. Let me just stop and say, how many of you know if you're faithful and you're productive with God, he'll give you more. In fact, the scripture says he gives seed to the sower. He'll trust you with more. If you're faithful with what he gives you, he'll give you more. How many of you know until we're faithful with what he gives us, he can't give us any more? Right? For everyone who has, more will be given, and him and, and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Faithfulness produces fruit. Did you, did you know that? Unfaithfulness causes what we do have to be lost. And then he says, cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness. So this is where you don't need to build a theology here because it says, cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Now, you know what he's saying? There's serious consequences for not taking seriously the God-given gift and grace and talent he's invested in all of us. We will reap the consequences for our lazy living or our lack of understanding of who we are. See, God created us all. We are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He shaped us for a purpose. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for service, which God has prepared before him that we should walk in them. I want to spend my life doing what I was best gifted in grace to do. I don't want to retire from who I am in Christ. Amen? I may change the way I do something when I get too old to stand up and breathe. But I want to spend my life doing what honors Him and fulfilling His kingdom purpose. And you know what? I want to hear one day well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. Come on in, I'm going to give you much. Enter on in to the joy of the Lord. <coughs> Amen. So tonight, <coughs> pardon me, let's embrace our God-given shape. We're shaped to serve. Amen. And I always tell people this. If you're still trying to, you're kind of hunting, pecking, trying to figure out really where your primary grace and gifting is, find some place. Let me just tell you, you will discover your purpose by serving. You get somewhere and start serving. Don't be a part of a church and not serve somewhere. Be a servant. And let me just say, be careful not to give yourself to all the good causes in the world and let his kingdom go undone. Let his church family go undone. People say, well, Pastor, I'm just so busy here and there and everywhere. But what about the family? Seriously true. And I've always found this. Some of the most blessed, happy people are those who are serving God in His church. God has a way of putting it all in order. Don't serve your children to their detriment. Well, my kid has baseball. They got cheerleading. They got this. They got that. They got this. I got to go. 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 I got to Plug them into the family of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand up. Thank you for your patience. Why I coughed and hacked a little bit tonight. I didn't hear anybody say bless him, Jesus, but that's okay. Amen. How are you shaped? How has God made you? What's his purpose for your life? We're called to worship. 
We're called to discipleship. We're called to influence. We're called to serve. We're called to grow. God has a shape for all of us. Father, thank you for creating us in your image. Help us become more and more like you.